0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. I am Jeff Simpson.
1: And I'm Cole Wissinger.
0: And we are so excited to be here today to give you the very best in entertainment. Something we do each and every week here on Screen Cleaning shine a big old spotlight on all that is good. And there's a lot of good in the world of entertainment these days. But I guess not a
1: ton of good in the theaters this weekend, if you're asking us.
0: Right. More on that in just a minute. Uh, we, we do like to start off by giving you the best in entertainment news. And even though this is kind of a sad note, it's, it represents a good run that this guy had on Jeopardy! We, of course, are talking about James Holzhauer, who finally lost. He lost to a librarian from Chicago, I believe. Emma is her name. Right. And Cole, how long of a run did he have? 32 games total, and about $2.4
1: million of earnings, coming up just about $60,000 short of Ken Jennings' historic run. But remember, Ken Jennings did that in 74 games. It took less than half that amount for James Holzhauer to get up there, which means he was averaging an historic amount of money per game. In fact, if he'd made it just one more game, he would have probably, and continued to average what he is, gotten past what Ken Jennings did. His average is is within a couple dollars of what the previous record for a single game earning was that's
0: dominance my goodness and i understand that he is like a professional gambler so he knows From how Nevada. to knows how to play the odds and maximize winnings and things like that way to go I mean, what a run. That's so exciting. And, and, it...
1: and it's never the last time that we'll see him. Jeopardy! has their tournament of champions. Oh, and yeah. He is now the best of the best. When we see Ken Jennings and when we see Brad Rutter and oh, when boy. we see Arthur Chu and Julia and all of these Jeopardy! all-stars, now James Holtzauer's name is right there with him.
0: This is right up your alley, Cole. You love quiz shows.
1: I love Jeopardy! specifically, but yes, I love all the game shows. I caught most of his run, and it's just exciting to see the way he plays the game very intelligent guy um, very smart with the way he plays jeopardy
0: i've always felt that a lot of these uh game shows are kind of lopsided like you can win (laughs) just as much money on a show like wheel of fortune as you can on jeopardy and uh the amount of effort required between the two is immense you know the difference between the two is immense as far as your uh your intellectual output, I guess I should say.
1: The Price is Right also gives away prize packages yeah. worth like $30,000, $40,000. That's what a normal good day on Jeopardy was before James Holtzauer came and changed our expectations. Um, and he knows he knows a little bit more broadly trivia stuff than I can't, your general winner
0: on Price is Right. I can't wait until that champion episode comes out. Speaking of coming out, there are several new trailers that we ought to at least mention in passing. There's a new Lion King trailer that features Beyonce's voice for the first time. People and are Nala's lips
1: kinda moving. It's it's interesting seeing these like really photorealistic animals. Um Talking like we knew they were going to talk, but it's still it's still a little jarring when you see it for the first time.
0: So this is the second major motion picture, the major motion animated picture. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, it's live really action, good but CGI. Yeah.
1: That's still CGI.
0: <laughs> but the one that I'm super excited about that Cole refused to watch. You can tell when Cole's excited for a movie; he won't watch the trailer. And this one is the new trailer for Scary, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark.
1: Oh, man, I'm excited for this one.
0: Produced by Guillermo del Toro. And uh, I I was a little skeptical at first, but then I looked up the director who's directing this film, and he's got a pretty good track record. Like, he only makes good movies, apparently. And uh, this film had me a little creeped out. Uh, Of scarecrows like I don't think I'll be able to see scarecrows in the same light anymore
1: hopefully the whole movie is going to have you a lot creeped out I am excited for scary stories
0: I've actually been brushing up on scary stories with the original animation or the original illustrations and uh, they're fun they're fun books I'm super excited to see this movie and then you know we're going to be talking about on the show later on franchises And there's going to be another reboot of a franchise that seems to have been done to death and has changed hands over the years. We're talking, of course, of the Batman franchise. This time, in the role of Batman, as we've discussed already on the show, Robert Pattinson. But now it's been announced that it's going to be a trilogy. So we're going to get a whole big helping of Robert Pattinson, uh, Edward from... The Twilight Saga. But mostly he's been doing a bunch of indie films. So this will be interesting to see him back in the doing the big old tentpole movies.
1: The actor that they've chosen for Batman does not concern me. The fact that before the first movie has even started filming, they've already announced that it's got to be a trilogy and it's their next Mm -hmm. big thing in D.C. And it's going to bolster up the Warner Brothers studio for the next five to ten years. And that's... That's businessy stuff. That's what concerns me.
0: You know what, though? What is not concerning is the fact that uh, Matt Reeves is going to be involved in the franchise. Matt Reeves, of course, responsible for this latest install of uh, the Planet of the Apes franchise that we got. And he's also somebody else that is going to come up here in just a minute in our discussion. Okay. But I understand that there were a couple of movies that or there are a couple of movies that are coming out over the weekend one being the secret life of pets two and uh we'll we'll just leave it at you know there're plenty of other animated kids movies that you could watch instead of this but then there's also a superhero film that's coming out right Cole Dark
1: Phoenix is the newest entry into the
0: X-Men cinematic universe, for lack
1: of a better word. They they don't really take their continuity that seriously, and they've been playing fast and loose with how connected their movies are, but It's still a cinematic universe, it's still a franchise, and this is probably the last one in the franchise, if their marketing is to be believed. Now, astute listeners of Screen Cleaning will remember that I was, at one point, very excited for New Mutants to come out. That one is still on the slate. They've pushed it back yet again. It's aimed for the middle of 2020 now. It it may never come out. It may never see theaters. I really hope to actually see it, because it'd be interesting um, to see... Why they've been putting it off this long time. It might just find a home on one of the Disney slash Fox slash other streaming platforms. But don't forget, this Dark Phoenix movie also was pushed back a few times, originally supposed to come out in 2018. Ooh. Okay. And there's... Probably a reason. There were a fair amount of reshoots that went into this entire third act when they found out that it was very similar to the third act of maybe another superhero film. Can you tell us which one? They've not been specific, but having seen both this and Captain Marvel, I have Mm. a pretty good guess which one it is. Okay, So but this is this is the culmination of a 12 movie, 19 year span and. If, if there's one thing to say about all of the X-Men movies is that they were first. Um, the first True. X-Men came out in 2000. The MCU didn't didn't put out their first movie until 08. They didn't get their sea legs under them until Avengers in 2012. And that's when they – I mean in 08 they also put out The Incredible Hulk, which they've since kind of ignored mostly. And Ed <laughs> Norton was immediately recast. Aww. So the MCU had their struggles at the beginning as well. Try to rewind that back eight years and where superhero movies were in the lexicon and in the culture at the time, trying to make them legitimate for the first time, X-Men has had its fair of struggles um, to get over. And their continuity and the things they take seriously and the things that they don't and their reboots have kind of suffered for it.
0: Mm. So Sometimes
1: being first is not
0: always best. Is this – Something that we need to spend our money on this weekend.
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, wow. there are other X-Men movies to go back and watch. Those first ones kind of do connect well. Uh, people that have been watching the X-Men movies know that in Age of Apocalypse, the most recent one, the third of the new recent reboot with right. the new actors and actresses, it set up Jean Grey to be Dark Phoenix. She, the whole... Her whole plot and her only reason to be in that movie was to say, I feel a dark power inside mm. of me somehow and I don't know what to do with it. And then in the climax, the culminating moment of that movie, if you just look at it, it's Professor X telling her, let it out, Jean. And she does and it it's this power in the shape of a red phoenix bird looking thing mm. that takes down Apocalypse. And so now we pick up. With a dark Phoenix movie. And right from the get-go, we totally ignore that that just happened a couple years ago in a connected X-Men movie. And they go to space and she gets the Phoenix Force up there, which is true to the comic books, but not true to the continuity that they've been trying to put together here on terra firma with their other movies.
0: So you mentioned that this will likely be the last film in this franchise. And one might say one would hope um but you know I'm sure they'll figure out a way to reboot it and start over again and maybe try things a little differently with hopefully better continuity the next time.
1: The MCU has a good track record of starting things right oh, from yeah. the get-go and so now that Disney owns 20th Century Fox and by extension the X-Men and the Fantastic Four don't forget about them. Yeah. We should be seeing new versions of these characters in the soon.
0: Usually with reboots and remakes, you get new directors, new filmmakers, new creative minds that can hopefully breathe new life into these franchises that we just can't seem to let go of. So if if these big blockbuster movies aren't going anywhere anytime soon and they likely are not, then at least, hopefully, we can get these movies into the right hands.
1: Ooh, and that reminds me of my favorite not-so-fun fact about Dark Phoenix. It is written and directed by Simon Kinberg, the same man that wrote the screenplay for X-Men The Last Stand the last time we saw the Dark Phoenix in the X-Men universe. It is about time that the X-Men get some fresh blood in there.
0: So that's actually going to be the focus of our discussion when we return, Cole and I are going to be taking some of our favorite franchises and hopefully we're creating a dream team of directors and writers and filmmakers. And what if these special people made the films that we love so much? That's up next. You know, it's no secret that there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of sequels in the theaters this summer. So much so that each of these sequels is starting to spawn an entire franchise, and... Unfortunately, some of these franchises have not gone according to plan or they're not to our liking. There are some examples of franchises that have gotten better with age, including uh recently Mission Impossible Fallout has Which I think is the best of the whole series. I that you, that would be arguable. I I there could definitely be an argument for that. However, there are other franchises like Jurassic Park that although aren't completely bad, we it left us wanting more. You know, if only this movie could have been put into somebody else's hands. So what we're going to do here on the show today is we are going to talk about franchises we'd love to see switch hands or putting these franchises uh, into the creative minds of... Creative direction of of others. directors. yes. Mm-hmm. Better directors in most cases. (laughs) So this, the way that we came up with this list really evolved over time as we were planning because at first we were just going to choose a couple of films that we each wanted to talk about. But then we decided, wouldn't it be interesting to choose the same five films and just see what directors we'd come up with? My picks are going to be presented as if we are in an alternate universe and this is just happening. OK. Um, so when I share those with you, I'll read them that way just so you're not confused.
1: OK. I can get behind that.
0: OK. So the first film that we wanted to talk about, and I'll go first with this one, the first franchise we would like to see switch hands is the Jurassic Park franchise. Now, we all love the original Jurassic Park And I think at one point we would have said, hey, if we could put this franchise into the right hands, who better than to give it back to the original director, Steven Spielberg? We already tried that once. And Steven Spielberg provided us with the worst Jurassic Park movie in the entire franchise, in my opinion. Another obvious choice. And this is one of the ideas that kind of sparked this whole discussion was the end of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom sets it up to be kind of like this Planet of the Apes type franchise that we were going to start seeing. And so I thought, who better than Matt Reeves who directed two of the three uh, Dawn of
1: the Planet of the Apes, War of the Planet of the Apes, where the
0: apes started right. as the
1: bad guy but now they're the guys we're rooting for the same way the dinosaurs are kind of leaning towards right
0: he he had he passed on it as well because uh he's a little burned out from directing these trilogies and franchises plus uh his planet of the ape movies were humorless and there needs to be some humor in the Jurassic Park movie so that is why the producers of the new Jurassic Park film decided to hire a director by the name of Dan Trachtenberg. Are you familiar with Dan Trachtenberg, Cole? Um,
1: I've heard of Michelle Trachtenberg. You okay. got a relation there, maybe?
0: Well, Dan Trachtenberg created another film that was very claustrophobic, very Hitchcock esque. When I saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I left the theater thinking, "Okay, now I don't want them to continue on with the same actors, the same storyline. Please no more rescuing of the dinosaurs. I would love to see the Jurassic Park franchise go in the direction of an anthology series, right? And so this is a director of an anthology film or a film in an anthology series, the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane. Dan Trachtenberg. He also did an episode of Black Mirror, which is the same kind of Twilight Zone-y right. kind of feel. You're so right. he's very much in that anthology realm. Now, this is the only film he's ever directed. Can you believe that? It's very surprising because I can't tell you how good this film is. I could, but we don't have time for that. So I'd like to see the next film be smaller in scale. I'd love for it to have. To, I'd love for it to be more about atmosphere and give you this claustrophobic feeling some of the scenes in the original jurassic park were able to do that like the kitchen scene where they're trying to escape from the raptors and the scene where dr sadler goes to turn the power back on like smaller very claustrophobic more intense scenes and i know he can handle dialogue scenes well too and i would love to see that in the next jurassic park film dan trachtenberg
1: I don't think you've ever met anyone that likes the Jurassic movies. So just because you and I are kind of on the same page where we don't think that any since the first one have really lived up to that hype. Sure. There are still millions of people that will go see big dinosaurs eat things. And that's been proved. And so I don't want to play towards the people that are starting to fall away from this franchise. I want to give the people what they want. Now, I I also considered Matt Reeves, but you're right when you say humorless. And so why would you go to a horror anthology small-time director... That that didn't have a lot of humor in either of the things that he's really done either.
0: I I would I would disagree a dark with you. Humor.
1: These are the people that go see Jurassic want your big budget dumb blockbuster fun, and so I'm hiring a director that recently had some free time on his hands and has a history with our big star. That's James Gunn. Oh, interesting. Okay, the Marvel franchise, mm-hmm. like I've mentioned before, with Thor was kind of on a downturn and if any one man is responsible for the way marvel movies look nowadays it is james gunn who is able to take big cgi action with funny characters and make everyone care about it and so we're gonna play and make the jurassic movies exactly what they've been trying to do anyway in the hands of a man that we know can do it and we know has a good relationship with our lead actor whose charisma is driving these new reboots I don't want to alienate I could get a whole behind anthology. That. I, I'm intrigued by your offer, and I would definitely go see it. But I'm afraid of alienating my fans in this new age where the fans can rise up against you. I know who goes and sees these movies. I'm going to give them the movie that they want, directed by James Gunn.
0: Now, let's kind of keep it in the same category as far as thrillers or adventure, action movies, horror movies. And let's talk about Jaws. Now, I want to hear who your pick is first for Jaws. So
1: Jaws did get a couple bad sequels similar to the way we view the Jurassic movies. And Jaws 2 and Jaws 3D are some of the worst sequels to a really great movie that we've ever had because they didn't really understand what was going on. The first movie was atmospheric and very much what you're talking about in the Jurassic franchise. Mm -hmm. And you held off on seeing the monster until the moments where it mattered most. And then the sequels and then the spoofs like the Piranha movies or even Sharknado just implode that and say, here's a shark. ha Right. But I want to come back to the original and I want to make a really serious and good horror that holds off on its villain. It holds off on its monster and that can only be directed by Gareth Edwards.
0: Wow. Gareth Edwards who did Rogue One. He also did Godzilla,
1: now this is the 2014 one I'm talking about, not the one from just last week that was big monsters smashing up against other monsters. He did the Godzilla that was praised by critics for not showing us Godzilla until the very end because he knew that he had that power in that monster. Rogue One is, is interesting because it has one of the best single scenes in all 10 stories Star Wars movies now that we have?
0: And the scene you're referring to is? is... Darth
1: Vader coming down the hallway. Ah, at the end of the film. you hold off on your villain. You give us bits and pieces up until then. But you hold off on your villain until it matters the most. And we finally, a character, all growing up, Darth Vader was supposed to be the biggest bad that there was. In Night of the Museum 2, he just shows up with a bunch (laughs) of other bad guys. What a
0: horrible movie that was. He
1: is just the bad guy that Mm -hmm. you think of. But yeah. we never really see him do his thing until Rogue Rogue One tells us why people are afraid of Darth Vader. And Godzilla was very much criticized for doing the same thing. When people want to go see Godzilla, they want to see Godzilla. But he held off and then showed it to us when it mattered the most. That's what Jaws needs and can use. Where some of these other franchises, maybe it didn't work. This is right up his alley.
0: I could really get behind that pick, Cole. I, yeah, that's a great pick. Now, this is another one of the films that really sparked this whole discussion or people that or directors that we were thinking about or movies that are coming out like The Meg. And you mentioned how a lot of these shark movies today are just like these big, dumb, ridiculous B movies that are a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But you don't really see anything that's on par with Jaws. So speaking of uh, franchises or films that we'll never see. Originally, the sequel to the movie Jaws was going to be a prequel. Okay, now it was going to have an entire film dedicated to arguably the best scene in the film Jaws. And that is didn't involve the shark at all. Right. Just people drama. Pure dialogue. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like to take credit for writing that scene. But Robert Shaw deserves a lot of the credit, who was a playwright and who was in and out of being inebriated throughout the filming of that film. But this scene involves him telling the story of how he was on the USS Indianapolis that was delivering a bomb that essentially uh, was a big part of ending, ending World War II. They delivered the bomb, but the ship, they were sinking And he talked about the horrors of that evening as those who did survive waiting to be rescued were being picked off one by one by these sharks. And the way he describes the sharks is so eerie. And it's funny because the scene starts out as this funny scene of them telling like uh, showing off their scars and singing drunken songs. And then it takes a really dark turn. Um, So there was going to be a film dedicated to this. It never materialized, however, which is a shame. So in this alternate universe that we're creating, Christopher Nolan would be the perfect director for this film. And actually, it almost doesn't even need to be made because this film would almost look identical to the film he just made, Dunkirk. You have this World War II Action drama that is very intense from start to finish. There's a, a very, uh, very driving soundtrack where they ha- he records the sound of his really expensive watch that's on the soundtrack, <laughs> right. and it's just a really intense film. And again, it has a lot to do with this: less is more. Like you don't, you don't really see any blood or guts or people, you know, getting shot, things like that. It all has to do with sound and setup. And it, it really pays off. So I, in a way, I'm okay that they didn't make this movie because I feel like I saw it when I watched Dunkirk. Now, the person that was hired to direct Jaws was Rob Reiner, circa 1986, because he gave us three great films in that time period from 1986 to 1990, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride. And Misery, two of which are Stephen King adaptations. Hmm. So, um, interestingly enough, by the way, Misery, of those three films, had the biggest budget. And it all takes place in a cabin, basically. They they could have built the cabin, I guess. That was the most expensive film. So, Rob Reiner, in those films, was very good. He proves that he could do action-adventure with The Princess Bride on a small budget. Of a film that everybody said nobody could ever film, make a film version of The Princess Bride, the book. And he did it. And now it's one of the greatest films ever made, in my opinion. Okay, but he also gave us Stand By Me and Misery, two films that are very character driven, especially Stand By Me and very suspenseful. I think he could pull it off. Rob Reiner today, mm, not so much. But Rob Reiner in his prime could have done a great job with the Jaws film. And uh, I really wish I could have seen one of those. So, Cole, what I want to do now is just take a quick break. And uh, when we return, we are going to share with you our last three picks for franchises we'd love to see switch hands here on Screenplay. Was a thing called a sing and I wanted to sing and listen to the ballads of the man named Sting. Getting looks in your eyes and it's suddenly spring. Like when I'll just imbe in the Lion King. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Today we're talking franchises. We'd love to see switch hands. We've already mentioned Jurassic Park and Jaws. Now we're going to switch things up a little bit because we could spend all this time and all these action franchises that are out right now that we'd love to see switch hands. But we're not going to do that just yet. We're going to take a little break from that by giving you an animated franchise that we'd love to see switch hands. Now, to be honest with you, this next one, I would actually prefer it just went away completely. <laughs> um, but if if the box office... Returns are any indicator that's probably not going to happen, like Despicable Me. Uh, But this is the Hotel Transylvania franchise. The first one had a really clever idea. It wasn't a great film by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But it was certainly better than Parts 2 and 3, which uh, just came out recently. I just want to do a complete reboot of this franchise And I'm going to mention who did not get the job or who had the job, but the film ended up going to somebody else. So originally, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were attached to direct, and they had already started directing it, but they left mid-production because they had creative differences. Sounds familiar. Yes. (laughs) Now, we want to remind our listeners that this is—we're creating an alternate universe here. So when we say— Such and such a director was hired to do the film. We're not telling the truth. This isn't like insider information that we have or based on an article that we read. These are our preferences, but we're presenting them as if it's actually happening. Our
1: own twilight zone that we step back and enter a different
0: universe. Not to confuse you, but it will probably confuse you. So Phil Lord and Chris Miller... The people behind the Lego movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the 21 and 22 Jump Street movies, and originally half of Solo. Solo. They left the project over creative differences. So, a very unconventional pick for this sort of franchise was brought in by the name of Wes Anderson. Now, this is not a film that Wes Anderson was interested in directing. However, the folks at Fox Searchlights, who for some reason in this alternate universe have a say in who's directing Hotel Transylvania, which a Sony is movie. a Sony movie. They said that if if they were going to fund another one of his independent movies, he had to do more of a popcorn uh, box office smash movie. Had to make some money. Right. So Hotel Transylvania Part 4 is going to Wes Anderson. Now, if, you're going, if Wes Anderson is going to make a film like this, he's going to make it his way. And I don't think anybody else wants to see a Wes Anderson movie that's not a Wes Anderson movie, if that makes sense. So we're going to recast this film in the role of Drac, We'll no longer be seeing Adam Sandler or hearing Adam Sandler. We will be hearing, and this is interesting because both in the Phil Lord and Chris Miller movie and the Wes Anderson movie, I had the same person in mind. Jeff Goldblum as Drac. Okay. We've got Jason Schwartzman as Johnny, his son-in-law. We've got Scarlett Johansson as Mavis, his daughter. Bob Balaban as Frankenstein's monster. Now, if you don't know who Bob Balaban is, he's always like this turtle. uh, He's got the turtle glasses, very soft, squirrely kind of voice um, in a lot of in quite a few Wes Anderson movies. Bill Murray as the Invisible Guy, currently being played by David Spade. Uh, We're going to keep Steve Buscemi as the werewolf. He's doing a great job, and it seems like he belongs in the Wes Anderson universe, don't you think? I think so. Okay. And then Olivia Williams as the narrator. A lot of people, because there's always a narrator in a Wes Anderson film, a lot of people probably don't know who Olivia Williams is. Uh, She was in one of the first Wes Anderson films, Rushmore. She was the love interest. She was involved in this love triangle between Jason Schwartzman and uh, Bill Murray. And she was also the wife of Bruce Willis in the movie The Sixth Sense. So just to give you some perspective... So that is what Hotel Transylvania Part 4 would look like. And I would gladly pay money to see that. I would crowdfund the heck out of that movie. I would love to see Hotel Transylvania in the hands of Wes Anderson. Very, very interesting pick, Jeffrey. I thought being the Tim
1: Burton fan that you are though, that you would be going in more of that general area because you this know, is a Henry, creepy,
0: cute animation thing. Henry Selleck, who directed Nightmare Before Christmas and the wonderful Coraline almost and James got and the, the giant job. Peach. Right. What? He almost got the job. I almost went that way.
1: So if you want to do different kind of animation as well, that's another option that I considered. But in the end I was realistic again with my choice, picking a man that has animation credits behind him. Now, we're bringing Hotel Transylvania up because it, similar to the new release this week of Secret Life of Pets 2, is a surprisingly successful animated franchise. Uh, I think my pick would also work if you wanted to put the Despicable Me illumination also movies into a different hand, and that is Rich Moore. Rich More who has Disney credits behind him, which is always useful in this animation business. Mm -hmm. He is the man behind part of Zootopia, but also Wreck-It Ralph. Did he direct it? He was the director of Wreck-It Ralph, which takes your villain and kind of makes him into a hero in a Disney kind of way. And that's what Hotel Transylvania has always tried to do. And the first one did it at least better than the other two. The other interesting thing that Rich Moore has in his credits is The Simpsons, but not just any direction on The Simpsons. He was one third of the very first Treehouse of Horror episode back in season two. And so he knows what horror animation and serious and also funny and goofy and Disney all look like. He can bring all of that background to Hotel Transylvania 4.
0: Interesting. See, Cole, your picks are very realistic. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, of all of the picks that I've made, this one is probably the most realistic. But I want to hear what you have to say first about Star Wars. Okay. Now, I want to first go on the record and say, I did. I almost didn't want to do this one because I'm actually very pleased with the direction that the Star Wars films are heading. Uh, I'm. I side more with the critics in those regards than the fans. But... Who did you choose for the next Star Wars film?
1: So we're looking for that next inevitable big Star Wars franchise after the Skywalker saga concludes this year. And I went a slightly different route with this one because I think we need to. Okay. So we have to step back and look at why we're trying to redirect and and take a different direction with the Star Wars universe. It's because they're a bit of a mess right now. From a reception wise, their most recent movie actually lost money despite making a decent amount here domestically. You're talking about Solo. Solo, a Star Wars story. And the one right before that was very panned by the fans, not so much by the critics who nowadays just can get into fun, goofy action movies. But the fans weren't a big fan of The Last Jedi. And I've come a little bit more around on that movie in that I don't blame Ryan Johnson as much as I used to. I look at the failure of The Last Jedi at about 60% Ryan Johnson's fault. 40% J.J. Abrams' fault for building up and setting up all of these questions. But 60% is still the lion's share of the blame. It because he made a bad movie. <laughs> but but there's there's blame to be put on J.J. Abrams for setting up so many things that Ryan Johnson just didn't care about. When mm-hmm. you look at the failure of Solo, it's a little bit to do with the fact that Last Jedi was bad. It's a little bit due to the fact that within a two-month window, Disney was releasing three massive franchises back to back to back and didn't give them time to breathe either Hmm. and it's a little bit due to the fact that they canned their directors halfway through to bring in a whole new guy that had a whole different direction one of the reasons it lost money even though it made a decent amount is because it became so expensive when ron howard had to bring everyone back for reshoots and so we need in the star wars room in disney a new leader not so much a director for the next movie but i need a kevin feige To be at Lucasfilm, especially now that his first large chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has come to such a satisfying close. And Star Wars is wrapping up here in the same year as we start a new journey there. I'd like his direction to be in charge.
0: Not to direct, though, but to oversee the new overseer.
1: Okay. The difference right now between Star Wars and Marvel is that Marvel knows from the get-go what they're doing and what their directors have to include. Sometimes that causes friction with directors and they'll leave, but Marvel knows what those directors have to include. Star Wars has no idea. They needed someone to stand up to J.J. Abrams and say, no one cares about Snoke, or Ray's parents are just going to be no one, don't build it up so much. That way, when Ryan Johnson comes in and does those things, it's not as disappointing to the fans. They need someone to stand up to Disney and say, we're not releasing Solo two weeks after Avengers. We're going to stick it in October when
0: there's no other big blockbusters happening. Great pick, Cole. So uh, a runner-up director was going to be the guy on Twitter that said that he had $200 million secured to make this film. But it turns out uh, he didn't have the funding. The funding fell through, so he didn't get the job. So my ultimate pick is somebody that has done two trilogies and he is involved with the production of basically, I wouldn't call it a spinoff of one of his trilogies, but it's a different iteration of his trilogy. We know that he can do epic characters and epic scenes and epic relationships As I said, he's a proven action director, and we know that he can be convinced or persuaded to be on board with something. This is somebody who did not want to come back to do the second set of movies, but in the end, he was convinced, and it was a mistake, in my opinion. And now I
1: know who you're talking about. I'm
0: talking about, of course, Peter Jackson. Uh I am so excited about this because The Lord of the Rings uh trilogy the original lord of the rings trilogy that he did is one of arguably one of the greatest trilogies ever made not even one of could be arguably the greatest trilogy ever made all solid they all feel like it's one big long movie there's not one that feels like it's so much better than the other and he just nailed it I could really see him doing justice to a Star Wars film. Again, kind of like a Kenneth Branagh. He's very good at kind of like these operatic or Shakespearean scenes that I could see belonging in a Star Wars universe that are much more in line with what the original Star Wars trilogy looked like. But I honestly feel like whoever fills this position next is going to be hated by a large percentage of the people No matter how good the film is, it's the fate of Star Wars, really. It doesn't have to
1: be. It, just, but it is. There it needs is. to be strong creative control. They want to make this sprawling universe with different stories ancillary to their main plot. And so they need the creative control. And that's what Peter Jackson had. Like you said, that trilogy felt really cohesive. You didn't really feel like there needed to be a break between any specific one of the movies. Mm-hmm. And if he can bring that overarching plan to Star Wars, that's what I want more than just one particularly good movie.
0: That's a valid, that's a valid point. Um one thing that I will mention is I feel like the original Star Wars trilogy is kind of placed on this pedestal that no matter what, whatever came after it, people were going to hate it, love it, be all over the place with it. And I honestly feel like that is the fate of Star Wars. But anyway, I'll let you share your honorable mention first, Cole. So I...
1: I fought with Jeff a little bit to get this one included, but eventually I just realized that I was passionate enough about it that I could talk about it. I want to talk about Superman for a second Mm. because we had one good Superman movie and then a lot of bad sequels. You know, Jaws, one good movie, bad sequels. Jurassic Park, one good movie, bad sequels. Hotel Transylvania, one okay movie and then even worse (laughs) sequels. So Superman fits what we're looking for in that vein, but it also does have an interesting story about directors coming and going. Of course, we're very familiar with Dawn of Justice having Zack Snyder originally for it, um, and then due to... Uh, tragic circumstances having to bring in Joss Whedon and Joss brought his own style when he came in to finish it. But Superman specifically, even in his own movies from the 70s and 80s, has this story as well because Richard Donner was that original director for the first one. He was shooting the first and second one simultaneously, but he was going so over budget with it all that they canned him for the second one and brought in Richard Lester to finish shooting Um, Gene Hackman, for example, uh, was so furious and such a Donner supporter that he did not come back to do any reshoots. Anything with Gene Hackman in the second movie was shot by Donner. But yeah, Superman's already a franchise that has been through so many iterations and so many just bad sequels that we need someone that is passionate about the character and, and knows who Superman is. Whenever it got rebooted to Zack Snyder... It fell into the hands of a man that doesn't really understand what Superman can be. The truth, justice, and the American way goodness of this guy fell by the wayside as he tried to copy Chris Nolan's dark DC kind of tone. Sure. And it didn't fit the hero that he was building a story for.
0: Well, do you think Chris Nolan had an influence on him because he was a producer on – Man of Steel.
1: That's possible. It's possible that even the more upstairs people I talked about producers a little bit with Star Wars. It's possible even those big wigs at DC said Dark Knight worked really well. Let's do that with Superman. And it didn't work because that's not who Superman is. So I want a director that knows who he is. And it is the man that was behind his own little DC animated universe in the 90s and 2000s. That is Bruce Timm. Bruce he, he was the creative director in charge of the Adventures of Superman cartoon, but also the Batman the Animated Series cartoon. You really dug and deep for this League, one. And Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. These are series that I love, but that treat Superman well. We know that Brad Bird went from animation to live action with the fourth Mission Impossible, and I believe in the action capabilities that Bruce Timm has shown in his animation to bring it to the live action screen.
0: I'm glad this is an honorable mention just because I don't I don't really care at all about Superman. I love Superman. I don't think I it's think, because he hasn't had a good movie yet. I think the most enjoyable Superman movie I've seen is one that people would yell at me for liking, which was Superman Returns. Yeah, the Brandon Routh one. I was okay with it. Um but yeah I I It's harder for me to get behind people that aren't as vulnerable, which is why I like Batman and Iron Man so much is because they're vulnerable. They're human. They're they're not perfect. They have weaknesses. Whereas Superman, you have these 20 minute fight scenes where nobody ever dies and they just go on and on and on. And I just don't care about that as much. But I really do like your pick for that. I could get behind that. My honorable mention is for a franchise that I I don't care for at this point. I loved the first film, revisited every once in a while, but I don't know that I've seen the second and third or fourth and fifth ones. Um, I've seen the second and third, but not the fourth and fifth. And that is the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Sam Raimi, who directed not only uh, the Spider-Man trilogy, but uh, started out with films like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 – Army of Darkness, and a personal favorite of mine, Drag Me to H.E. Double Hockey Sticks, which is PG-13, so I feel like we can talk about it here on BYU Radio. But I would love to see what Sam Raimi could do with the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. He's not really doing much these days. He did Oz the Great and Powerful, which I didn't really care for. But, uh, but I- that
1: when I was watching that movie with my aunt, she looked at James Franco and said, this would be so much better if that was Johnny Depp. Interesting. And so as, as he was directing that Oz the Great and Powerful, my family was thinking this would be better as a Pirates movie. That's my favorite pick of yours, Jeffrey. I like that.
0: Really? Yeah. OK, well, let's see what you think of this pick, because of all the films that I've chosen, I've I've gone back and forth between all these directors. People were hired and fired and left the project over creative differences, things like that. This is the only film that had one director in mind and they got him. And the franchise is going to be even better because of it. Now, I need to justify this by saying I've actually only seen one of these eight films. One and a half. I think you've explained it to me right. before. I've seen The Fast or Fast and the Furious or The Fast and the Furious. The first one. The first one. And I've seen about half of Fast Five. That's it. But what would really sell the ticket to me for the next film would be if they went even even way more over the top with the action than they currently are doing and I, from the trailers that I've seen it's way over the top the rock has thrown
1: a missile right. in this
0: series i'm talking like out of your mind bonkersville how on earth could this could a human being even imagine what i'm seeing on screen right now or cook up in their minds what i'm seeing and that is George Miller, who directed the entire Mad Max franchise. Also, my favorite uh, sequence from the anthology film, the Twilight Zone movie, Terror at Twenty Thousand Feet. He did one or bo- I think he, one or both of the Happy Feet movies. He did one of the Babe movies, which are really kind of going in the opposite direction. You had of what me I'm with trying. Mad Max. Let's go back to that. But one. Mad Max. It's, again, arguably one of the greatest action franchises ever made, especially with cars. I would love to see the Fast and the Furious get the Mad Max treatment, and that's why George Miller got the job for the next film.
1: All right. So this got onto the list just the way that Star Wars did, even though you think that all the Star Warses are good and I think they've been falling off. I think all the Fast and Furiouses are good. I don't think think all the Star Wars films
0: are good. I would like to forget about the the prequels, but everything
1: else I'm I'm okay with. Right. Yeah. But Fast and Furious in the same way to me is not a franchise that has been going downhill the way some of these other ones that we've brought up have. Okay. But I think one director that could bring something new to the franchise. Um a franchise that started off with some CGI stuff going on but has in more recent years taken a better <laughs> attention to their practical effects and really? getting the actual cars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so, there was more CGI. No, no, no. Yeah, there's more practical effects, especially right around Fast Five when they started getting good. There were real cars doing, I mean, not doing actually these things, but it was real cars kind of stuff. Okay. And they're shot well. And one man that I know is passionate enough about stunts and practical effects and and the way that that action looks on the screen and is getting a little older is a man by the name of Tom Cruise. To direct. To direct. In his directorial debut. Wow. Okay. Fast and Furious 9 Mm. by Tom Cruise. Because by the time he gets signed on, he will be 60 years old shooting this. He needs to start transitioning in this part of his career from being the actor doing it to the man imparting all of this amazing knowledge that he has and passion for film to another generation of young actors, and he can do no better than with all of the action people that are involved in the Fast and Furious franchise. This is also a franchise that has some inner conflict among the actors. Maybe some of them don't like others. I think Tom Cruise's craziness can just add to the dynamics of that room, really interestingly, at least. And I know that as a 60-year-old man, I don't maybe want to see as much of him doing the stunts, but he is the greatest actor of, our ge- of a few generations, and I want to see him start to pass that on. In terms of action movies or just in general? In terms of everything. Tom okay. Cruise is the biggest star to hit movies in the past 40 years, and he's been the biggest star for 40 years. And I want him to start passing this on so that we can continue to have great movies in the future.
0: So there you have it, franchises. We'd love to see switch hands. And, you know, franchises are not going to end, at least not anytime soon. So if they don't, at least hopefully going forward, they can make better choices about who is going to direct the film or who's going to write the film. But even if they don't, we'll still be here to
1: play the what-if game and, and make up movies in our imagination. And coming up next, we will have our summer box office scoreboard here on Screen Cleaning.
0: Cole, either you know me too well at this point or we're just on the same, same wavelength because this is the type of music to get me going. and to... This is
1: the summer scoreboard of the box office music, so all summer long we'll be reporting on the box office to some cool
0: jazz. So, you know, Cole, we want to try to be as objective as we can, but just taking a step back and looking at our respective lists... Who do you think is doing better at this point?
1: Um, Better is a hard word to use (laughs) here, Jeff. Can't we just take the summer for what it is? All the movies are doing well. I'll
0: give you this. At this point, it kind of looks like, you know, it's early on in the baseball season and uh, anything could happen. You know, that's right. The all-star break hasn't even happened yet. And that's when things really start to pick up steam. We're still at the point where the pirates have
1: hope. That that hasn't even mm. come up yet, and that's normally mm. my saddest time of the summer.
0: Okay, well, that's a different topic for another time. Something we probably also disagree on.
1: But if but <laughs> if there's something that I can take hope in, is that I did not put X Men Dark Phoenix in my top ten.
0: Okay, unlike some people in this room, I do believe I put it at number ten. Correct me you were, if I'm wrong. Yeah, you were number pretty 10? low on it.
1: Yeah. But when I was anecdotally at the theater last night, it was not exactly full. For the Thursday night premiere of a big superhero movie, um, at the, like, 9 o'clock kind of prime time showing, there Mm. were maybe 15 people in a large theater.
0: Oh, boy. I just – I want it to do well enough to make the top 10, obviously. But one of the other films that I had pretty high up on my list, I believe I had it at number five – was Aladdin, and Aladdin is doing better than at least Cole thought it would be You had it a little
1: bit better than me, and it crossed the $200 million mark in the domestic box office area.
0: So it's still on the top of our list. It's number one. Number two, for the time being, is still Detective Pikachu, which is now sitting at about $133 million. You hold on, Pokemon. Right, except... Watch out for that John Wick. He is killing his way past Pikachu very quickly. In the most
1: violent, R-rated way possible.
0: Absolutely, because he's sitting at 130. They've already announced another John Wick movie that's going to be coming out. So that's number three. And then, of course, number four uh, is a movie that will probably end up doing a lot better overseas than it will here. But that is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And that one is currently at 60 million.
1: It's a sharp drop off. And considering it's it's going into its second weekend, having only it it made maybe another 10 during the course of the week, its opening weekend was much below what we thought it was going to be. Um, we both were pretty low on it and 9 and 10, respectively, is what we thought it would do. It might not make that. I think there's another surprise coming this summer somewhere that could kick Godzilla out of the running.
0: What won't be a surprise, I can say with a fair amount of certainty, is that this weekend, Secret Life of Pets 2 is going to do huge numbers. It's
1: the kids' movie of the summer. Right. Kids are out of school now officially. It did a very good job waiting to make sure that all the schools were out before Mm -hmm. it really embraced the summer. And kids will be going to see this movie, and that means their parents have to go, too. That's a lot of ticket sales. The animated movies do well.
0: Well, I hope so because even even though Secret Life of Pets and I have our differences— All of um, Illumination
1: has differences with you, Jeff.
0: Right. I think I put it at number three— is that right, Cole? Number three? Or so you were number... a little
1: bit lower. than You were four. I think okay. I was five.
0: Okay. All right. So it's got to make more than Aladdin. And I don't think we've decided yet what you get if you win, Cole. You mentioned pizza last week. Oh, that's I right. Think I think
1: I've realized pizza. as I've come to a larger market and seen some bigger movie theaters – Popcorn isn't your only option. They have like a whole buffet sometimes, and Mm. and pizza is part of that. I love watching a movie with a nice large pepperoni pizza in front of me.
0: How about uh, if you win, I will buy you a pepperoni pizza and I'll take you to go see Dark Phoenix for the second
1: time? (laughs) Oh boy. You think it'll still be in theaters by the end of the summer? It's got those kind of legs in the box office? That's a great
0: point. Who knows? Who knows? Well, as you know, each and every show, we like to end things by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. <laughs>
1: talked a lot about dark phoenix and x-men and had a little bit of fun at their expense but this is still a franchise and a bunch of characters that i love dearly it it does make me kind of sad i i hide my sadness through laughing and and poking fun at the whole franchise but these were the characters that i was most excited to see on the screen when we first started getting comic book movies because these are the comic books that i held dearest to and you know we After I gave my Dark Phoenix review, we played a little bit of the sound of the Saturday morning cartoon, X-Men the Animated Series, that Jeff and I are both of that certain age that we hold dearly. But I want to talk about the comic books themselves. If if you, like me, are a little bit disappointed, I guess, with the way that the Dark Phoenix movie has played out and the whole X-Men movie universe, as it comes to a close and, and a little bit more of a whimper than the MCU's Endgame closed, then go back and, and find where you originally loved this. Whether it's in the animated series or, for me, the trade paperbacks. Uh, the Dark Phoenix saga, the, the Phoenix saga in general, starts in the uncanny x-men right around issue 101 is where we're first introduced to the phoenix force through gene gray i went back and and after i watched it even though it was late last night i cracked open my comic books and read again and reminded myself that this is why i fell in love with these characters there's there's a lot more dynamic there's a lot more relationships going on in the x-men comics and and i still love them today
0: when you were talking cole i just had this tagline Books. When the movie disappoints you. Books will always be there waiting for you. And comic books count, too. I think comic
1: book movies got a stink on them for being kind of just the superhero stuff and not being taken seriously. Logan maybe changed that with a screenwriting Oscar nomination. Yeah. Well, it was best adapted screenplay. It was adapted not from a book or from a stage play, but from the pages of a comic book.
0: Great point, Cole. Yeah. Libraries, books, they'll always be there waiting for you with open arms waiting to welcome you back. And it sounds like we need to get back into the books. No and matter what the, the movies do. Books. Right. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We are here each and every Saturday. On our, uh, you can find our podcast on byuradio.org. You can also find us wherever you're, you find your podcasts. And uh, we're going to be here. We won't disappoint you this summer. We're going to be here each and every week. And we can't wait to come back next week to give you the very best in entertainment. This is Screen Cleaning.